Well, the question this morning is, do you believe that? This curly statement about finding the one thing, is it correct? Is there one thing out there that each of us should try to look for? One event, one activity, one area which we're investing ourselves that can give us that fulfillment, that purpose, that obviously the Billy Crystal character is missing out on. And is it possible that we could get to the end of our lives, never having found that one thing, actually have, having missed out on a significant component, an important piece of the life that God has designed for us? That's a big question. That's an important question. It's a question that our verse today we're going we're gonna to delve into is going to talk about. Now, what you saw here was a clip from the movie City Slickers from back in the 90s. Three guys from the city whose lives are at varying levels of disappointment or frustration head out to the, to the Wild West for two weeks to help bring in the herd, hoping to get their knots untied. Uh, as they look for that one thing or the purpose that they feel that is missing from their lives. Well, the verse today we're going to talk about addresses that, at least in part, from a Christian perspective. And that verse is Ephesians 2.10. Now, we're going to get to the verse here in a moment. Let's give you some context for those of you who've been here for a little while. We just spent under two years, just under two years, covering the book of Romans. 16 wonderful chapters of theology and information about God and the church and how this whole big deal is supposed to work and what it's all about. But if you had to boil Romans 16 down into 10 verses, you would not find a more effective 10 verses in doing that than Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The gospel comes through in spades in verses 1 through 9, and verse 10 is where we're going to be today, and it's the response. It's what do we do now because of this? No, I'm not a should guy. I've learned over the years, you know, you're talking about you should do this, you should do this. Kids know this when parents are talking. Don't be a should person. Don't tell me what I should do, I should do. I don't like shoulds, okay? However, if we have to do this, what it's talking about, then it's not grace. It's not a gift that God has given us. And if we don't do it, then we risk not really having believed and embraced what it is that God gave us. So umbrella of grace here this morning, I'm going to give a big, strong should And I don't feel the condemnation or the burden of that should. Let this be a door into what we're going to talk about here in the next 15 to 20 minutes. The passage is Ephesians 2.10, and it's a fairly short passage. And it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, it's a short verse, but it's a powerful verse. And we're going to go through phrase by phrase to understand what is God telling us here. After the beauty of 1 through 9, which you don't have time to get into, but if you read it, you'll be like, yes, that's awesome. And here we are at verse 10. This idea, this first phrase, for we are his workmanship. All right, what does that mean? We are his workmanship. Now, when we think of God creating us, we think of maybe just poof and we were, or people were, and God got this ball rolling, and somehow we ended up being created out of that big, millennia-long ball rolling, parents, grandparents, parents, you know, ancestors marrying, and here we are. Maybe even by some random act, 
or we showed up and said, God, hey, I like you, Jeremy. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. No, the term here is workmanship. And what do you think of when you hear the term workmanship? I think of a craftsman. I think of a sculptor. I think of a person of great skill taking time to carve and create something of great value. When someone is doing workmanship, it's a very involved and invested process. And this is the term that God communicates to us as we begin this verse, for we are his workmanship. We forget that. We don't wake up in the morning thinking, I'm the workmanship of God. No, we think, I'm a knucklehead. Why did I do that? Why do I feel that? Here I am struggling with this again. Why would God have anything to do with me? Why does he have any time for me? I don't want anything to do with him. I'm going to reject him before he can reject me. You've heard it. You've been there. This morning, you are the workmanship of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 communicates this very strongly. When God was putting this whole big deal together, after he created the earth and all its beauty, after he created the solar systems, the galaxies, the universe at length, what is and what is not known out there, and all of its glory, he then said, I'm going to create something really special. I'm going to create the human race. And when God said that, he thought of you and he thought of me. Way back when. You were a conscious person thought creation in the mind of God, and he began planning his workmanship in designing you. It says as much. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Here we see the triune Trinity God, Father, Son, Spirit, referred to themselves in the plural. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. We are made in the image of God. He continues in verse 27. So God created man in, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. He created them. We together, male and female, man and woman, collectively as the human race, we bear the image of God. Not men alone, not women alone. Together, we collectively reflect somehow, in some miraculous, supernatural way, we reflect the essence and the image of God. I can't explain it to you beyond that. Someday, I will. But that's what he says. We are not a mistake. We're not some byproduct. We're not some chance creature. We are of great value. In fact, he goes further in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. You want to talk about God designing you specifically? The psalmist tells us here, For you formed my inward parts. You, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. That one cellular organism, when the two sets of chromosomes came together at the beginning, at conception, that began to multiply with its own DNA strain and all the characteristics then that have become this and is the same for all of you, that began in the womb of our mother and it was a beautiful, glorious, miraculous thing. We are not in any way a mistake or by chance here today. And this is important because Paul continues in this verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus is, if you look in the Bible, who created us? Jesus is actually, before he became Jesus, the Son on earth, he's the creative force. John chapter 1 tells us that. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that. Jesus created who we were in the beginning. But something happened in the fall. And the fall is that point in the Garden of Eden where the first two men and women from whom we all descend 
kind of screwed up a little bit. So God creates them. He gives them the earth, the entirety of the earth, to live in, to explore, to have fun with, to do whatever. And he simply says this, this one thing, do not pursue this one thing. It is dangerous to you. This knowledge will corrupt you. It will deceive you. You don't want this one thing. Everything else is yours. But they're human, right? What did they do? They just couldn't resist. They couldn't help themselves. And with everything else at their doorstep, an entire world to explore, they kept hanging around the one thing. Why isn't God letting me have that thing? Why isn't he letting me have that thing? And eventually, as is the case with us today, if we linger around that thing we shan't have, boom. They chose poorly. But that didn't just bring sin into the world. That marred the very essence and creation that God had put together. They became riddled with sin. Creation, as we understand it, began to crumble and is not as it was be. Typhoons, earthquakes, tornadoes, destroying. Those were never part of God's original process. The creatures themselves began to ravage and kill each other. That was not part of God's plan. The harmony with which God created the earth was taken away. The Bible says that in the end, the lion will lie down with the lamb. There will be no predatorial activity. That was God's intention from the beginning. But God wasn't going to let it end there. We deserve judgment. We deserve to be annihilated, really, for rejecting God's loving divine command. But God wanted more. He wanted to restore us. So thousands of years later, after working this great plan, God, the Trinity, sends the Son, Jesus, to be born as a person, fully human, in this earth, and to live this perfect life. And though they were perfect and never sinned, they made a lot of enemies because they, he fought against the people who were manipulating God and what was supposed to be for good, for self-interest and for their own selfish purposes and confusing people and misleading them. And in the process of fighting the powers of the day, Jesus made many enemies. He was falsely framed for crimes. He was falsely prosecuted for crimes. He was falsely convicted for crimes. And he was executed for crimes he did not commit. But not against his plan. Not against his will. Way back when, God had said, when man sins, a sacrifice must be made. Something must die. Blood must be shed for forgiveness to happen. And Jesus knew what the plan was, and he went along with it. And he offered himself, his perfect body, his death, his blood, so that we wouldn't have to be destroyed and judged because of it. And that's the beauty. That's the gospel. That's what Romans is about. That's what Ephesians 1, 2, 1 through 9 is about. And when you and I say yes, because Jesus didn't stay dead, his perfect self and also being God allowed him to rise from the dead, and when he rose from the dead, he offered new life to us. And when we say, yes, Lord, I receive your life. Yes, Lord, I believe in you. Yes, I will let you take the punishment for my sins, which I deserve by faith. And now I will follow you. I will become your follower, whatever you want. That's the offering that he gives us. And it's a glorious thing. It really is. We should never get tired of hearing that story told week after week after week. But when we're recreated in Christ, when we believe, when we're born again, as the New Testament, as the book of John, John chapter 3 says, when we're saved, 
We're redesigned in Christ. The old self was created, it was marred by sin, but we're recreated in Christ, we're given new life. And at that moment, we continue, we can see in this passage that God, as he wires us and designs us, he also prepares good works for us to accomplish. That God prepared beforehand. That one thing, that elusive one thing, that thing that's going to give me joy and fulfillment and purpose, that I keep wandering, that I keep shooting for and missing, that I keep grasping for in the dark, that eludes me, that one thing is promised by God for us if we are his children. There's no, guess, there's no guessing game involved. It might not come to us immediately. Few people, when they become followers of Jesus, get a, a written printout or a thing in the mail from God saying, okay, you're going to do this, 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 and this for the next 40 years of your life. Boom. No. We're given what we're going to do that day and the next day, and we begin this relationship with God where we learn these things. God's our ultimate objective, our one thing is not to find that which will give us fulfillment. Our one and primary objective is to love God and to bring him glory. That's our one thing. There's no competition. There's no argument there if you look in the Bible. That's our objective. However, 1A with that is that God allows you and me and us to learn how he's wired us and to partner with him in this amazing thing he's doing on this earth in advancing against the kingdom of evil that we can be part of the forces of good, winning hearts, winning souls, revealing the glory of God. That's what this deal is about. That's what you're in the middle of, whether you recognize it or not. It's happening every day, every morning we, make up, we wake up. That battle is taking place. And he said, Jeremy, I have a place for you in that battle. I've prepared beforehand what it is. I need you to walk in it. I need you to take that step of faith. I need you to begin working out, figuring out, trying, failing, trying, getting rejected, trying, having your feelings hurt, trying, maybe not being respected as much as maybe be taken for granted, trying, pushing, forgiving, showing grace, growing in your capacity to love people and to forgive and becoming more like Jesus and ultimately learning how you are wired and what you are designed to do. It's a journey designed to build the relationship with God first and foremost, not just to give me what I want so I can feel good about myself when I put my head on the pillow every night, although that's a wonderful byproduct. If you don't already know, I'm a talker. I have the gift of gab, as it is called, one of many references to it, being quiet and not talking is a discipline for me, especially when I'm around other people. I love to tell stories. I love to have people laugh. I love to be the center. And so when I would go to a great restaurant, I'd tell people, oh, you've got to go to this restaurant. It's the best place ever. Or I'd see this movie. You've got to watch this movie. I just saw this movie. It was the best movie I ever saw. If I like something, if I experience it, I'm going to tell you about it. That's just who I am. I'm going to do it exuberantly, passionately. You're going to be like, whoa, dude, chill out. You're too much. That's just who I am. So when, I, when Jesus rescued me, what was I naturally going to do? I was going to tell people about him. 
and not in front of a crowd of 200 people like I'm privileged to do this morning or in the previous services. It was me on a barracks bed in the Marine Corps when I'm 19 years old telling my buddy who's half drunk, dude, come on. I mean, Jesus will do this. He offers this. There's more to life than what you're going through, than what you're experiencing, than what you're living for. I didn't know that was going to lead to this. I was just faithful with what God gave me. And over years, in a very circuitous past, I did not get to being a, a pastor quickly. It took me 10 years when I thought I had something to share before I ever had a venue and more than eight people to share it. Okay? God is patient with those who are slow learners. Present company included. All that to say that you're on a journey of discovering how God has designed you and what are the good works he has for you to do. In a minute here, we're going to go down, and we've got, we're going to walk through a room with a bunch of tables and volunteers and signs of ministries and different table decorations and some candy and some food and all sorts of things to make it a pleasurable 20 to 30 minutes for all of you who go down. But the primary purpose is to help us figure out what's that next step. And let me describe to you how this process works. I saw this illustration years ago, and I think this is a great way of figuring our way through this. Some of you have never served before. You've never actually volunteered in a church setting. You thought, maybe I will, but I don't want to commit myself too much. They can be really weird, and oh, am I going to start being called every week? And oh my God, I don't have that kind of time. You know how busy I am. Well, one, let me say this. If it's your one thing, you might have to take a couple things off the table to put a new thing on. And my suggestion is, it's worth trying. Because if your current effort of the full plate is not giving you the one thing, you could be risking a lot by keeping your plate that full and missing out on what God has for you. That being said, we step back. We're all spiritual archers, okay? You see the target up there? That target's much better than my handwritten hand target. I don't have the colors and the time. But imagine the archer target there on my board. And we're all spiritual archers, okay? If we are followers of Jesus, whether we just started or whether we've been on the deal a while, we're archers. And we, when we're trying to find that one thing and where we serve and what's our role in the body, we pull that string back and we let that arrow fly. And as long as we venture into something based on our interests, based on our affections, based on what we like, based on what we don't like, I like working with kids, I like working with adults, I like working on the weekends, I like working during the week, I like being around people, I don't want to be around anybody. I mean, we're all different, and that's fine, that's who we are. We fire that arrow, and that first time, wherever it hit, it hits somewhere. Now, we might think we hit a bullseye, because that's who we are. We always think more highly of ourselves than we ought. But at least we got on the target. And for the first time, you're on the target. You've never been anywhere, but you're on the target. And you sign up for something. And you serve there for six months, nine months, a year, a year and a half. And you, you meet some people. You make some relationships. You get more plugged into the church. You're growing. You're attending a small group. You're listening to messages. You're actually growing in your faith. You're understanding who God is and how he's wired you. But you realize after about 18 months, you know, this is not really what I want to do. I like it, but I want more. That's okay. Thank you for your year, 18 months of service. But that's not the end. 
And some of you have been there and you've gotten burnt out, something happened, and you're out. You gave it a try or two and you're, you're on the sideline. That's not how it works. Because with the knowledge that we have and the experience and, and that this growth process and the challenges, we step back and we fire a second shot. And that second shot is usually a little closer. We've learned some things. And now we more often have a sense of fulfillment. We see God working in the lives of people. We see lives being changed. We see us, by God's grace, having some involvement in that. Some side conversations maybe to share our faith and how God impacted us. We weren't expecting that, but hey, I really like that. We learn that about ourselves. And this journey with God and this understanding his design only improves. But there's still something missing. In this process, we build relationships. We have conflict with people. People offend us. People, they, they're harsh to us. A parent says something nasty and unnecessary, very not Christian. And we have to learn how to offer grace and forgive. We have to learn how to deal with conflict and go to a person directly and not store it up in our heart or, or gossip about it. We learn how to be like Christ and we get closer. But we know, you know, I'm still missing something. After two, three years, four years, whatever, we're like, you know, I'm going to take another shot. And eventually, we draw back and we let it go. And that arrow hits the bullseye. And we find that we do something that we're passionate about, that fires us up, that opens doors to minister in the way that God designed us to minister and to serve. We go home tired and worn out, but overjoyed that God, by your grace, you used me. I didn't deserve it, but I'm so grateful for it. It's a process. And when we dismiss here after I pray, I want to invite you back into the process or to that next step in the process. If you've tried, you're trying. You know, I said last service, we're worried about, well, I need balance in my life. I've got to have balance. got to have work-home balance. got to have left-right balance. We've got all kinds of balance. You know what? We fill our lives with crud. We have a chance to affect eternity. I'm inviting you, consider removing a thing or two and venturing into that which will have eternal significance. We have needs, but we don't need you. You understand the difference? God doesn't need you, but God wants you involved. He wants you to say yes. He wants you to step in. He wants you to take a risk. You might have shown up here today and said, there's no way I'm signing up for anything, no way I'm out of here. As soon as he says amen. And my invitation is, give us a shot. Say a prayer to God. Say, God, my, my walking down the stairs will be an act of faith. I'll trust you. Not committing to anything, but I'll talk to people. Come downstairs after the service. Open your heart. Give God a chance. Who knows? He might have a divine conversation and connection waiting for you in this next step in finding that one thing. Let's pray. Father, we are blessed to have a, a creator and a father who cares so much about us that you've designed us in a very specific and lovely way, but you've also designed the thing that we are supposed to do and where we're going to experience the fullness in you and doing. You've taken out all the guesswork, Lord. It's simply us acting in faith, trusting that it takes time, sometimes a lifetime of learning and growing and loving, and I pray. I pray for these friends, these brothers and sisters, in the faith that as they venture to explore who you are and how they can serve in your kingdom, that you might even now 
bring about some divine connections, and they might sign their name to a paper that could bring them great fruit in their life and great joy in serving in your kingdom. We ask all this in Jesus' name.